much horror business driving late at night. Psycho 78, 12 o'clock, don't be late, I said all this horror business. Greetings and salutations, my name is Justin Lore. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 59 of Horror Business. Horror Business. Today's episode, tonight's episode, whatever, because we're recording this at just short of nine o'clock, so it's tonight. We're going to be talking about two movies that are Shutter exclusive, so this is our second Shutter exclusives episode. We're going to be talking about 2017's Satan Slaves and 2018's Don't Leave Home. Don't like, leave home. I feel like Satan Slaves could have had a better title. Yeah, well, I wonder. So, Satan Slaves. These are both international films. Yes. One is a Indonesian film. Yes. One is an Irish film, which means we have an I theme, right? They both start with I. Yeah. Ireland, Ireland, um, and these are both. Uh, well, that's not true, actually. Satan Slaves is a film that I heard about playing a few different fests. It had fest buzz. Yes. Including a few of our friends in the Philadelphia area saw it at Puff. Uh, this past puff. Mm. Uh, that for those of you who don't know, that's the Philly Unnamed Film Festi- Festival. People seem to love this movie. I've heard a lot of positive things about it. I think the thing about the name might partly be related to language. I could see that. I don't know, though. Uh, language, culture, whatever. I don't know. Because it sounds like a, the, the title sounds like something from like the title of a trailer that Rob Zombie would have made for like the Eli Roth Grindhouse movies. I think it's already the name of a movie. I think there is already a Satan Slaves movie. There has to be. Movie. There has to be. Uh, to me, it, it doesn't make me think... Well, it makes me... I didn't think of Rob Zombie per se. What I thought of was a movie that Rob Zombie would be ripping off and naming. Yes, okay, that. fair enough, fair enough. You know what I mean? Like I was like, this, this sounds like a double feature with Alucarda or with... Um, Sisters of Darkness or something. Satan's cheerleaders. Satan's cheerleaders. <laughs> or I'm sorry, Daughters of Darkness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, so Satan slaves and don't leave home. This episode is brought to you by <laughs> our Patreon subscribers. Oh yeah. Thank you so much. Um, we I just sent out stuff. If you are supposed to get stuff, let me know. Also, um, if uh, you aren't sure what you're supposed to get, then shoot us an email. Also, if you aren't interested in what is offered and you would like something else, let me know. Also, if you are a Patreon subscriber and you have an idea for us to do for an exclusive Patreon thing, we'll do it. We'll do it. I mean, we you know we had this idea we're going about doing this Endgame thing, but I still haven't gotten to see Endgame. So I've seen it twice. Yeah, well... I don't have any more tears to cry. How many children do you have? None. Yeah. I'm bound by no one. I'm a free man. Yeah, well, there you go. Free men get to go see Endgame. Yes, I'm a Fremen warrior. And... I walk without rhythm and the spice must flow. You get to ride your weird phallic worm to the theater. And meanwhile, I must care for the young... For the youngling? For the younglings. So thank you if you're a Patreon subscriber. (laughs) If you're interested in subscribing to our Patreon, go to www.patreon.com backslash cinepunks. And it'll walk you through how to subscribe to us. You don't have to do that, but we greatly appreciate it. And if you have done that, no matter how small an amount, we truly greatly appreciate it. I've said greatly appreciate too many times now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This episode is also brought to you by the premier screen printing company of the greater Lehigh Valley area. Not Lehigh Valley printing. Those posers. Posers. Usurpers. 
<laughs> Talking about Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, the fucking undisputed king. They're the ones who sit upon the Iron Throne. Undisputed. Now, Liam. Yes. If I said to you. Yes. I want to get some Prince bootleg shirts. <laughs> just look down at what I was wearing. <laughs> um, yeah, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations could do that for you. They could do it for you in multiple colors with a variety of garment options uh, from... Um, the the cheapest of the cheap to the, the finest of the fine. The finest silks brought in from the Far East and beyond. Do you want that in a Comfort Colors raglan tee? Of course you do. I'm assuming that exists. That might not exist, but if it exists, they got gonna, it. they're going to print it for you. Whatever it is you want. They yeah. Got you. Whatever it is you need. Whatever weird shit your mind vomits out upon Chris Reject's desk, they'll do it. So, if you want more information on how to get work done by them, if you're on a podcast or a band or a, a thing, just go to <laughs> www.xlvacx.com. That's www.xlvacx.com. I think that was it. One more time, www.xlvacx.com. If you go there, tell him that Justin sent you. And look Chris Reject in his eye, in his stupid eyes, and tell him to his face, I'm aware of what you really are and what you are not straight edge. Also tell him Super Chunk sucks. Tell him Super Chunk sucks. Tell me he has terrible. T- Tell him Solar Babies isn't actually good, and the Age of Ultron is better than Super uh, Solar Babies. I don't even know what that's a reference to. Uh, it, 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 we don't have time to talk about it. Okay. Now comes the time, the time when the moon has eclipsed the sun. You prick your finger; it is done. <laughs> the angel has spread its wings. Oh God! The time has come for bitter things. The time is now when I ask Liam the question of the ages. Liam. Yes. What have you done that's hard related recently? Well. I was coming into this thinking I wasn't going to have much to talk about. However, then I remembered that a uh, friend of the show, uh, Adriana Gober. Yes. She hosted a, a screening at uh, Frank Banco Ale House mm. while someone was in Los Angeles. That was me. Um, of Knife Plus Heart. Uh, it's a French film. I think... I think the original French title is actually A Knife in the Heart. I don't mm. know why they didn't just call it that, uh, especially since the movie is very Jao-esque. That's, that's Italian. Jao-esque. Contrary to what you think, not all Europeans are the same. Well, point being, this film is a very French, very gay take on the <laughs> genre. I think I might have mentioned it when we talked about the Brooklyn Heart Film Fest a while back. Yeah, uh, but she screened it, so I got to see it again. So it's on my mind. Also, uh, another podcast that uh, we know and and like, uh, Nameless Cults, they covered it, and that reminded me. I was like, oh, they're talking about that movie. Oh yeah, I saw that movie. I should mention it as a horror thing that I did, because as y'all know, as a boring dad with no money, I don't get to go to a lot of things anymore. Only one uh, of the, only two of those things are true. You're a dad with no money. Yeah, that's true. I'm also boring. Now. Point. Yep. Point being, uh, if you don't know about this movie, it's being distributed by Altered Innocence. Um, it is uh, a film about a director, lesbian woman, who directs uh, gay male porn in 1979 in Paris, mm. and she's a she's a she's kind of pathetic but kind of hard edged. Um, she makes very uh, movies that are that are appreciated in that community as being artistic while also um, you know explicit and whatever uh, but she's she seems like maybe it's a little past her heyday uh, and in her community of these uh, various 
performers in her porno films, uh, a series of murders start. And at first, she doesn't really uh, feel too connected to what's happening there, but she does start to work on a production kind of influenced by real-life events, uh, a movie that she refers to as uh, Homocide. It's the name of the movie that she's going to make. I like that. But uh, as it, things go forward, she starts to suspect a connection between her and the killer. Um, I don't. It's a new movie, so I don't want to spoil anything. But suffice to say, it has over-the-top gory violence, just like a Jala would. It has weird supernatural undertones for a film that has no supernatural plot. It's just there as part of the movie. Weird dream sequences and possibly psychic connections. That happens a lot in Jalos. Jalos are technically speaking... Not even horror films. They're murder mysteries. Yeah, but every now and again, they just get these sprinkling of like, yeah, the killer can see through your eyes. Yeah, exactly. Literally, that is uh, the sort of thing that's happening here. Uh, and they're also ultra-violent, which this movie is as well. But uh, what this movie has that those movies don't have is, A, um, a lot of gay characters who are great. Uh, these movies tend to be both... Um, heteronormative and misogynistic is sort of what you get with a lot of Jalo, and that's not the case with this movie. Um, also, a sense of humor. This movie is funny, hmm. and it's intentionally funny, even though it doesn't have that many jokes. Yes. It has a number of things happen that you go, oh, okay, all right, I see what you're doing here. Uh, it has a killer soundtrack. Uh, and, of course, it's, I mean, it's super sexy. I don't feel weird saying that. It just is, you know? So... Um, I think, you know, going in, it's worth knowing that uh, it's not that scary. I didn't find it too scary. It has a couple of very effective scares in it, but I think it's more of an atmosphere piece and very much a character piece and very much haunting in a certain way. Um, a lot of style. I liked it a lot. I think uh, I think if you are not used to Giallo, uh, it could be a rough watch for you. you okay. know? I think it's the sort of movie that horror fans go into because they're like, ooh, Giallo. And then they're like, wow, there's a lot of like stylized stuff here about this p- French 1979 gay porn scene that maybe they weren't ready for. But then a lot of people go see it because it's a very queer film and it plays a lot of queer fests. And they're like, wow, didn't expect so much goofy blood and stuff. You <laughs> know what I mean? Like, I think it's it definitely is a, is a, is a hammering together of two things that we don't get. It's an interesting choice of words you chose it there. was intentional interesting so uh i think it's brilliant uh i find it really charming and endearing uh and in in the end like a lot of movies it's a movie about the stereotypes of those sorts of movies it's mm. a movie that knows that by making a film that has both murder and gay characters what you expect which is death to all gay characters everything is a metaphor for aids you know what i mean like there's all these tropes in queer cinema and this movie is unhappy about some of those tropes and is going to mock them a little bit in the way that it tells its murder story um i think it's very brilliant i think it's really smart movie but it's not high-minded it's doing something very guttural it's really just trying to like gross you out and make you laugh Hmm. is really what it's trying to do but underneath it is a lot of thought about um, how we conceive of LGBTQ sexuality, about who gets to live, about what is life. And it's a real affirmation. And and I think the ending is interesting. Um, stay for the credits. That's all I'll say. Cool. Cool. Uh, as far as other horror stuff, the only other thing I'll mention is um, 
recently we did a Larry Cohen tribute for Cinepunks. Um, we, you should also know we did a Larry Cohen episode for this podcast, which you should definitely check out. But uh, I, it kind of put me in a Larry Cohen mood. And so recently, uh, uh, Joe Bob Briggs on his show did uh, Cue the Winged Serpent. And that was great. I watched that. And that was awesome. Joe Bob had a lot of cool stuff to say. Some things I knew, some things I didn't. Uh, I rewatched the Larry Cohen documentary, which also was pretty cool. And I finally watched The Ambulance, a mm. Larry Cohen film with uh, my man Eric Roberts in it. My my close personal friend. Yes, your associate. My deep. Your good friend. Your brother. My blood associate. Yes. Eric Roberts. Blood of your blood. Um, is in this movie, The Ambulance, if you haven't seen it. It's ridiculous. And Eric Roberts' hair is maybe the most the most flared out mullet it's ever been. Um, <laughs> I love the movie. It also has a very young, it might be the first Stan Lee cameo in, in movies. Really? Eric Roberts' character is an artist for Marvel. So they film in the Marvel thing. Stan Lee like, is in the movie like talking to him like as a character. He It might be his first cameo. I don't know if he did cameos on the old like Thor TV show or Incredible Hulk TV show. So maybe not. Maybe he was on TV. When and, did the ambulance come out? Uh, was 88, oh okay so very possibly i don't know i don't know i don't know these things hmm. but i will say he's in the movie uh and it's about comic books but it's also about a scary ambulance so <laughs> keep that in mind i i don't know i like it i had a lot of fun with it i'm glad i got to watch it uh, you know another movie stanley was in what Endgame. <sighs> i just haven't gotten to see it y'all that's okay fine. that's fine i did the other culture thing i watched game of thrones which when everybody had, else watched it, but I I didn't get to do the end game thing. I'm sorry. Uh, vaguely horror related without giving too much away. Be as vague as possible in Game of Thrones. The lights going off in the distance. Oh sure 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 sure. That was fucking horrifying. That was so um, scary. Uh, are you so are you are you in the we must protect Game of Thrones at all costs sort of realm? I'm much more concerned about movies spoilers than I am about TV spoilers. Personally, I'm trying not to spoil it, but I'll be honest. I see my, I mean, I didn't see Endgame, but I would see my not spoiling Endgame as an act of honor. Yes. And I would see my not spoiling Game of Thrones as a conflict avoidance. Let's so just like, not spoil Game of Thrones. Uh, so like, you know, I, 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 there are lots of things I don't say because it's wrong. Yeah. And there are some things I don't say because someone might near, be nearby and be needlessly offended. So for me, I mean, night of, I get like the whole idea, like people aren't used to live tweeting and it bums them out. And if you're going to live tweet it, you should hashtag it. But here we are almost time for the next episode. Yeah. And folks are still like very uptight about it. I'm kind of like, we're long past that point. (laughs) It's long past that point for TV. I know people who are only on like season five. Yo, no, one hundred percent. I get that, but this is this is what I, this is why I think it's ridiculous. Is that there's? I'm just gonna say this once, okay? When folks act like Twitter is a place where no one live tweets TV, and that no TV is spoiled for them, I know the general racial makeup of the people they follow, because the reality is. Um, there's been a large community of people of color on Twitter live tweeting Sleepy Hollow, live tweeting uh, Riverdale, live tweeting This Is Us, live tweeting Queen Sugar. In fact, any show in my mind worth fucking watching yeah. has at least 
a million people live tweeting it. What racial background are the people who are complaining about this? Would you say that they're almost entirely white? And and don't get me wrong. And don't get me wrong. Like I do think they have something of a point because I think we're at the point, especially with the show like Game of Thrones, where it's like, y'all hashtag your tweet so that people can mute your hashtag and then yeah. they don't have to see it. Um, I'm not going to go so far as to say if you don't want to get spoiled, stay off the internet because I'm not here to control you. You're not a victim but, blamer. But people act like they have they have been like personally violated because someone mentioned Arya while the show was on, and I'm like, y'all. That's a whole community of people that they've been doing this for a long time, and now you're walking in and trying to police it now. You're too late. It already exists. Yeah. You just happen to be clued in that suddenly that this is happening. You know, the Dem Thrones hashtag alone has been a thing for a while. So it's like, sorry you didn't know this was happening. But, like, again, I get why it's different because people are more invested in Game of Thrones than they were, say, in Sleepy Hollow. But, like, you know, when that show was on, Half my feed was just stuff about Sleepy Hollow. Cool. I know about that show. I watched literally the first season of that show, and that was it. And yet I knew stuff that was happening on the show because of Twitter. Yeah. You know, the way that a lot of people know what's going on in Game of Thrones right now, even though they don't watch Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. My one coworker has no idea, but he's like, so what's up with this uh, giant milk thing? And I'm like, well, let me tell you. <laughs> so it's, I, I, I just think, let's, let me, let me just say, I just think it's complicated. Okay. And I think when people act like it's not and that everyone who's different from them is just a rude piece of shit, I think you need to back up a little bit and just say, I don't think this is the way we should be doing it and make your case to just say, we all know this is wrong, but some of you don't care. That might be true of a few people actually, but I don't think that's true of everyone. For some people, that's not the mm, uh, way that they interact with media. Yeah. Now don't be wrong. If someone was live tweeting spoilers, opening night, of Endgame, my problem with that would be, A, why are you tweeting in the theater, sir? Yes, there's so much. <laughs> well, did you hear about the guy in Hong Kong who got like put in the hospital for that? Uh, well, I will say this. This is, I think there's been a few of these stories now who have been like, people have been attacked for, you know, whatever, Endgame. And on one hand, I kind of get that. On the other hand, I work in a high school, so I would have already been fired because multiple teenagers have taken great joy in uh, just saying things out loud. And maybe they spoiled it. Maybe they don't. I don't know. I don't know what happens. I might have had a very important part spoiled for me, uh, but maybe not. Maybe that kid was lying. I don't know. I hate that shit. I I am I am um, I am cognizant of the reality that there are certain people who would say spoilers are not real because we reread the classics all the time. So everyone knows. Everyone knows this, that, and the other. The underlying thing they're suggesting there is that the media that you're worried about having spoiled is not as good as the classics, to which I would say, I fucking know. That's why I don't want to know, because if I know what's going to happen, no, the no, movie's no, no, not no, as no, good. No, 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 and no, that no. is a fact, and I'm sticking by it. It's not a fact. Anytime you approach, if you approach something on your own and you come to something naturally and you figure it out, you come to it on your own, it's like, okay, if I give you a spoiler for Endgame and you have no context for it. Right. But you know it's a spoiler. Right. When you're watching that movie, you're thinking it doesn't matter because everything is leading up to this. Right. Whereas if you go into that unspoiled, it's your own natural journey. And when you get at the end, you're like, okay, that was rewarding. So then when you see it again after that, you're reliving that. Yeah, I I, I disagree. I think um, as excited as I am about Endgame, I'm 100% in the camp of it's not a good movie. 
no Marvel movie is a good movie. They're very fun movies. But um, if I told you the plot of Persona, I don't think it would matter. You could just watch Persona and it would be a mind-altering experience. And it's an amazing movie, one of the greatest movies ever made. Anyone who says to me, well, I just think uh, Endgame is the greatest movie ever made. I'm like, well, then we're just very different people. I won't say it's the greatest movie ever game. I'm saying there is one scene in that that might be one of my favorite sequences in any film in the last 20 years. Wow. Well, again, I haven't seen it yet. Maybe I'm going to see it and say, oh, man, I can't believe this little high school kid ruined it for me because now whatever. But I I do suspect that it, spoilers um, of a certain kind can't ruin the movie you're going to see if the movie is great. On the other hand, I think what sets some of the spoilers about Endgame apart is that they're literally surprises. And I do think we all need to acknowledge there's a difference between spoiler that is just a fact about the movie. Yeah. And spoiler that is, there's a huge surprise that we all know is a surprise. It's a, the classic thing is Sixth Sense, right? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, whether you like Shyamalan or not. If you know, and this is old enough, I don't care. If you know Bruce Willis is a ghost going in, your experience of the movie is different because it's a surprise. The movie is set up for you to be surprised when he you find out he's a ghost. Yeah. But if you also happen to know that at a certain point there's a girl under her bed and she throws up, I just don't think that that ruins the movie. Like I don't, I don't accept that facts that aren't surprises would ruin a very good movie. But for me, the whole reason I want to watch Hanging is because I want to know what's going to happen. Like that, the joy for me of that experience is figure finding out what's going to happen. I just don't understand. I don't understand assholes. And this comes from someone who is a monumental you, asshole. I was going to say, do you not understand assholes or do you totally understand I, assholes? I don't. I, I, I don't. Okay. I don't understand. I cannot relate in any way, shape, or form. A person who would walk out of a out of a movie and there's a line stretching down. The, and oh, then, yeah. That's and then just... yell what happened. Like... When the Force Awakens, when that guy walked out of the lobby yelling, "How can we spoil the Force Awakens?" How old is? Yeah, we can spoil the Force Awakens. How Han dies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember when Louis Aponte did that by mistake? By mistake. The day the movie came out, he tweeted that Han dies, and then people were like, "Han does die." And he was like, "Oh, oops." Yeah, I'm saying the type of person who would do that. It's it just I cannot relate to that person at all. It's a mindset and a, it's a way of thinking. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's like an arrogance that I, I cannot sympathize or empathize with in any way, shape, or form. It's alien to me. It's completely alien. See, I I hear what you're saying. The part that I understand what you're saying is that I don't understand why anyone would take joy in Like, that person is enjoying doing that. Yeah. And I could imagine myself doing something mean and maybe trying to, like, think that was funny and fun. I don't know that I would have that. I don't think I would take joy in that experience yeah but I don't know I'm not sure that I take the entire spoiler thing as seriously as so many people do I think it's just it's an unnecessary thing to do it's a dick thing to do why would you do that you don't have to do that just fucking just don't do it reaffirm yourself in some other way define yourself in some other way get a fucking hobby I mean I guess so I you know people are joining white identity groups so I feel like we have an issue already where people are looking for the worst possible ways to define themselves. Yeah. I'm so saying, I think, fuck those think, people too. Well, yeah, no, no, no. That's not what I mean at all. But what I mean is like, I'm not surprised that spoiling Endgame for people is one of the reasons that people have to live. 
anyway, what did I do in horror recently? Or did you do anything else in horror? No, no, no. Okay. I went to Los Angeles and I went to Monster Palooza and I hung out with Amy and Carly and we went to a fancy bar and drank lots of, well, they drank alcohols. You didn't drink the alcohol? No, I had ginger beer and ginger ale. My friend Kelly and I, we were both members of the order. So we went to Monster Palooza. It was the most insane shit I've ever seen. The line was literally a mile long. Yeah. Um, I met Barbara Crampton for a minute. I'm doing the, the hand gesture of like, oh, you, pshaw. She shook my hand. She doesn't remember. Whatever. It's fine. Walked around, met Jason Patrick. That was pretty cool. He was there with his daughter eating. He's like, hey, check out my Chinese food. It's worms. Get it? And I was like, yeah, it is. That's your thing. Um, he made the worms joke? He did. He had a literal Chinese takeaway container full of like fake worms. It's here. It's neither here nor there. Um, but I went to LA, saw a lot of cool movie events, movie locations. Uh, went to this neat arcade and then went to this cool bar that was like the Slaughtered Lamb in the set. had these, all these weird, weird, surreal paintings. Hung out with Carly and Amy from the Final Girls and we just... We had a blast, and the, the the beer, the ginger beer and ginger ale flowed like water. I also saw the remake of Pet Cemetery. Oh, right. Yes. We didn't talk about that on here, huh? No, we didn't. What did you think of it? It was okay. I think you liked it more than I did. Probably not by much. No. I really, really, I will eat crow and say that. I don't have a problem with the fact that they changed who died. No, no I don't have a problem at all. No, I just wish they would have kept it out of the trailer, not out of the out of the poster. I think that sure. scene would have been very effective had you not known. Well, I, I'm going to disagree about the scene only because I think that scene and um, the scene with the bed, yeah, annoyed me. Okay, in that, I think they were both scenes that were made more effective if you had seen the other movie. Yeah. Uh, that bothers me. The idea that it's like, yeah, we know there's another movie and we're going to make this. Uh, I, in fact, I think the seed, the crashing, which again, this isn't, let's go back to spoilers thing. This is in the trailer. So I don't think we're spoiling anything by saying that. And it's from instead a fucking 40 year old book. Yeah. Instead of Jack dying. Um, what's the daughter's name again? Who the fuck is Jack? Oh, I thought that was a kid's name. What's the little Gage. kid's name? Gage. Instead of Gage dying, the sister dies. Which the is... daughter, Mademoiselle, dies. I don't fucking Her know. Her name's Ellie. Ellie. Uh, but they they literally film it in a way that's like, Gage is going to die. No, it's not Gage. It's Ellie. Ha <laughs> ha. Fuck you guys. Yeah. And that would have, I think, if it hadn't already been in the trailer, I would have been annoyed by them playing with your expectations really? for the other movie. I. Of all of the things about the movie that are bad, those two things are unforgivable sins for which there should be like a physical punishment, I think. Uh, the only thing I think is unforgivable is the complete lack of characterization. And That was also a problem. No, 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 no. I, no. I wouldn't I, hurt I, them for it. I was going to say, not for, I mean, because I, I think, um, I don't know their names, the actors who played Lewis and Rachel? Yes. I thought they were great. Yeah, well, especially uh, what is Rachel's name? Uh, actress's name. She's so good. I didn't like the fact that Victor Pascal was barely in the movie. I agree with that. I thought that was a that was a, a vital piece of the original work, the book and all that was com- kind of sort of just like pushed under the rug. And I'll be honest, what's her name? Amy Simons. Okay. 
And uh, she was in Upstream Color, which is a freaking great movie. If y'all haven't seen Upstream Color yet, get you know, get a clue, get with it, see that, see that. You might have also. I think she was on. Am I right? Oh no, that was just one episode. She was on Halt and Catch Fire too, but that's probably not a lot of people know her from that. Oh, she was in Your Next though, which is oh great. cool. Anyways, I think she's really awesome. Yeah, um, she's been in a few indie sci-fi horror things and a few like drama stuff and i just think she's really great and i wish that uh she'd be given more to do i think yeah. i think both her and the movie revolves around her and the husband who uh was on that show about crime families on rhode island i forget what that show was called um but he i like him too um somehow the movie manages to revolve around them without them really doing much emotional work I mean, I think the most he gets to do is when uh, Ellie comes back and he interacts with her. I think some of that was actually very well done yes. and, and well written. But, uh, but you know, Jonathan Lithgow is... I mean, I don't want to say he's miscast, but he, he's bad in this. Like yes. He doesn't work in this. So maybe it's the script. Maybe it's the directing. My guess is he's not right for the role. I think he's... Not only is he not right for the role... And not only is the script not great for him, he's not given what he probably needs to do to understand his motivations. He also feels like he's trying to be the guy from the other movie. In fact, I would maybe put him on the list. It's like, uh, we're going to trick you with Gage. We're going to show you the bed because you think she's there, but she's not there. Yeah. And we're just going to have John Lithgow do his impression of the this character from the other movie. Not have him be his own character, but be like, John Lithgow. Remember the monster guy was in the yeah. movie? Just be the monster guy. It also had, um, while not as great of a sin against my decent character sure. in movies, not as grievous as the uh, wise Native American or the mystical autistic child. Yeah. The fucking Googling, the Yahoo detective, how like instead of actually telling us Yes, back in the day, this man had a son who came back from the Vietnam War, and he buried him up there, yeah. and he came back. Instead, we just see him Googling it. I'm like, fuck, fuck you. Also, he spells cemetery wrong when he Googles the cemetery. Yeah. He spells it not like it's spelled for the book and not like how you spell the word cemetery. I didn't catch that. He spells it with a C, but he still puts a, a, a it's still with the same A's. Mm. And I'm like... Is he supposed to be putting it in how it's mis- or is he looking for actual cemeteries? What is happening in this scene? It's very weird. Go- the Google Google doesn't need to be in your movie. No. Especially not for something like this where it's like this is old town memory. Yeah. Let some let let just have we need more scenes with with Judd, right? That's mm-hmm. the character's name. We need more of Judge anyway, because for the most part, Judd's just not doing shit. The charm of Stephen King books and Stephen King works is the Retelling of tradition that ought not to be retold. Right. Is this passing down of forbidden lore and hidden history. It's and if that shit's just on the internet, there's there's no fucking what, what is what what is that there's no So the charm is not um eight minutes of him fighting a child in this in the cemetery? That's also a charm. I didn't think that was a charm. I didn't there's a charm there. It wasn't eight minutes. It was like four, maybe three. It was a long sequence. It was a very long sequence. And I I actually think the ending of the film, which we won't totally spoil for y'all, is a great ending if it had earned it. 
Yes. Like I was watching it going, wow, this would be such a powerful ending if I felt you had done any work to get us to this point. Mm-hmm. But instead, I just get a cool image that means nothing. Yeah. Thanks. Also, the cover of the Ramones at the end was not good. I'm just, I, it's just not. Well, what it boils down to is that the cover, the you know, they wrote a lot of people's reviews for them because the cover, the Ramones cover that ends the film is a cheap, anemic attempt at something that they don't understand. Yes. And that's what the movie is. And the, the movie, you know, I'm sure the cover, the Ramones cover at the end was probably recorded better. And it might have had some better musicians since yeah. the Ramones were not virtuosos per se. Yeah. But uh, but it doesn't work. And that's how I felt about the movie, that there were some, actually I would say more than this cover song, some really good improvements. I think they really had some great ideas. Yeah. And then they didn't put any of it together right. Another thing that really bothered me was how in the trailer they really hyped up how like they were going to lean into the Native yeah. American lore of it all. And there was these, this this hint in the trailer that instead of it being um like just a burial ground that this whole area had been sort of like a like a, a less known like roanoke island how they're right. just like all these this tribes just disappeared we don't know what it is and i was like fuck i'm so there for this and then they don't do anything with that it's everything they see everything they talk about is in the trailer how it's just like they carved a bunch of children trees and they went away we don't know there's like a fucking thing out there well as long as you say the word wendigo then you don't have to. You don't have to do anything else. You've said when to go, so that's enough. Since most, I don't know if you know this, but most Americans are actually completely familiar with when to go and all the different sort of legends around when to go. So if you just say the word, then that's like no, you've they're done not. All the work. I know. Oh, you're being sarcastic. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, I'm just I'm fucking shot. I'm like just so gone. The, I mean, it, y'all, it's really this is and and it it was ta- it's not just that we we're picking that up from the trailer. In things about the movie, they had mentioned like, "Well, we really deep, you know, we really dive into the Native American yeah. sort of mythology." You didn't do shit. You said literally, say the word Wendigo. You show sh- a book and show a book with a couple of pictures, like artistic. By the way, a, a book, a, a book with a with an illustration of a Wendigo is not Native American uh, spirituality and mythology. Point for the movie, though. At least they didn't consult a tribal elder about this no i get that i 100 percent agree i just think that it was part of what they were bringing to the story and then it's literally nothing yeah they don't talk about the spirals it's which is in the fucking book they saw that in the book and they were like that's a cool idea let's do it and then they just i'm done talking about this fucking movie what else did i do that was hard i started watching black summer on netflix is it good i watched one episode when i was in minneapolis for prince's death day yeah um it was pretty cool uh, it made me very nervous, which is always a good sign. Yeah, I could only watch one episode for it, and then I had to like, I had to like calm down. But I like it. Um, what else did I do that was heart related? I watched a couple episodes of that robot show that you told me to watch. Oh, Love, Death, and Robots. Yeah, but only the short ones. I haven't dug into the slightly longer ones. Oh, yet. did you watch Beyond the Oculus Rift? No, not yet. Oh, that's so good. Okay, that's the one that I was talking when we were talking with Izzy. That's the one where I was like. Right. While we were talking about shit, I was like, I'm sorry, what were you saying? I was thinking about Love, Death, and Robots. <laughs> so I guess we'll take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about 2017's Satan's Slaves. We'll be right back. Tony Sisirin, yeah, Bu. Rambut Ibu, kenapa? Ibu! 
Kuni sama Ian boleh pindah kamar gak? Dari luar jendela kelihatan areal perkuburan. Di kuburan kan cuma ada orang mati. Tak orang mati nggak bahaya. Kalau memang itu ibu, kita bilang sama dia supaya nggak ganggu kita lagi. And we are back to talk about 2017's Indonesian horror film, Satan's Slaves. Written and directed... I'm not even going to try to say these names. Just try. Okay. Written and directed by Joko Anwar, starring Tara Basro, Brant Polare, Dimas Anditya, Ende Arfian, Nazar Anuz, uh, Muhammad Adiat, Arswende Nazushin, Eggy Fedli... Ayu Laxmi and LED Luthen. So I apologize if my horrible caucastic pronunciation of those names offended anyone. You're so caucastic. I my 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 caucasity is unbridled. Um the plot of this movie is just simple. After dying from a strange illness she suffered for 3 years, a mother returns home to pick up her children. I like that. Uh this movie is available in Shutter. <laughs> Um, as is the other one. Like I said, these are both Shutter exclusives. Um, as Liam said, this movie made its sort of um, festival rounds, so to speak. So there was a bit of hype about it a minute ago. The original title is... Here we go. Pengabdi Setan. That could easily be Satan's Slaves. It probably is. It, or, or like Satan's Bondsman or something like that. I really, really like this movie. Did you like it? Yes. Um, I think this is a very weird, and I don't care if I get a lot of flack for this. I don't give. Oh, also, Lorraine Warren died. Praise the seven gods. Um, this movie reminded me of, of of something that I thought the second Conjuring film was effective at, in that it really captured what it's like when you're a child and it's the dead of night and your parents are asleep. Yeah. Like this whole movie felt like it was taking place at like two in the morning, right? And it just had this really creepy, nightmarish feel to it, um, especially when some of the kids would like, you know, they'd be walking around the house at night, and there's these fucking eerie paintings everywhere. Yep, um, that really lent an air of absolute sinisterness to it. Right, sinistrosity. Sinistrosity. Is what you're yeah. For. Um. And there's just so much like really subtle, creepy. There's no like real iconic jump out, spooky scare to this movie. It's just a lot of weird shit happening 
that you can't see but you know is going on. You can hear it, though, with the fucking bells. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the movie really succeeds in doing a lot with, with showing very little, which I appreciate. So I, I the, the movie has a few influences, I feel like. Mm-hmm. One is... Uh, uh, East Asian horror, sort of broadly construed. Okay, there are things in this that remind me of Korean and Japanese films, especially the use of ha- there's a lot of hair. Yes, there's this. a certain amount of like hair in the face and hair over here, whatever. Like, a lot of like the hag imagery. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, there's a lot that reminds me of modern horror films because, like you had said, there's a lot of things that are just outside the frame or just beyond the focus. So we're focused on a character, and in the distant shot there's something there there's a lot of like looking at something and turning away and then turning back and it's right there if there's one thing i didn't like about this movie it's how it got to the point where i was like okay now this is there's a lot of it 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 gets it gets to the point where you can see it coming but i do think at a certain point you can see it coming but then they start to play with where you think it's going to be yes uh so i did like that um that stuff is a weird mix because sometimes it's done in a way that feels very Blumhouse. Like every Blumhouse movie has to have some of the same exact jump scares. Yeah, it's very, they're very. Some of the stuff, though, feels a little bit older, you know, a little bit more. Again, remind me of some Asian films, you know, um, specifically, I say Asian, but what I mean is like some Japanese films. Um, parts of it remind me even of like a Ju on sort of feel. Um, but there's definitely stuff in here where. I'm sure this guy was the the people who made this were influenced by literally the conjuring, you know, like yeah. literally like some of the newer uh, sort of James Wan style sort of stuff. It, a lot of that's mixed together. Plus because of the timing of it, it's set in the seventies. Yes. Um, it has a little bit of an exploitation-y sort of grime on it. You know, yeah. We were saying earlier that Satan's Slave sounds like one of those movies. They definitely have some of that feel in the sense of, uh, is there a cult and is there Satan worship going on and whatever, whatever. Um, uh, I think, so there's a big turn in the movie that I don't want to ruin for y'all, Mm-mm. but I think that turn actually changes a lot of the movie. Absolutely. And I would like to rewatch it now knowing that. It's, I, it, I said the exact same thing. Um, I think I was talking to my dad about this movie. Um, and I was, because he's like a vaguely hard person. I was telling him this, but he, he's one of those people who's just like, like for example, when I dropped my niece off after seeing Endgame, he's like, what happened? Who died? Tell me. And I was like, yeah. So I'm just like, I'm telling about this movie. And I was like, oh, but then it turns out that like the blah, 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 and a, and a Shabadoo. And he's like, oh, that's really, that's actually really cool. Like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, it, 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 was, it was a nice little twist. Like it, um, the blah, 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 and the Shabadoo. Well, I think it's, you know, um, it, it, some of them, there are sections of threat and menace that within the logic that you're given don't totally make sense. And the whole time, part of my, frustration was i didn't understand there's a there's a there's a ghost element let's put it that way as well as a satan element and some of the ghost stuff i was thinking but why is this happening like they don't really get into it and uh we don't necessarily need it but then later on as you know more of the story it becomes more clear while some things are Mm -hmm, happening mm -hmm. And that made the rest of the movie better when I thought about it. So at the in the moment, I'm thinking, I just don't have the, I just don't, this just doesn't click for me. It doesn't make the movie bad, but I just don't get it. Yeah. And then when it did click, I thought, 
oh, now those moments make more sense, but also are kind of more interesting. I kind of want to rewatch them yeah. and see like to what see I figure out. to see see them in like a different light. Um, I don't. I, let me just let me just say, um, I don't totally love this movie because I feel like the pacing is a little weird. It's very start stop, very start stop, very. Uh, I, it feels almost like a lot of very effective set pieces. Yes, without a cohesive kind of full narrative, until there's the big turn, and then it just sort of rushes towards the end in a way that I think is actually pretty satisfying. Yeah, but everything that happens before the big reveal is like what's happening. It, it feels very episodic. You know, again, it made me think of a movie based off of like a, a Lorraine, you know, of a Warren document because the idea would be because it, it's completely made that, up and fictitious. Well, the idea is that the Warrens would be cataloging events. So sometimes movies based off of what they wrote feel like just a series of events. Like yes. Yes. Something happens and then the family is scared and then something else happens and you have no sense of time. Yeah, how long it's been since the last spooky thing that happened, you know, whatever. This movie starts to feel that way, only it is trying to have a sense of time. It is trying to say, like, the, you know, uh, mom passes away, and then the dad goes away to find work, and there there are outside events that set this within a certain time frame, but as things are happening, it's not always clear, like, okay, we're doing this now. Like, they don't necessarily connect. Those set pieces are pretty good, though. Like, yeah. I, I don't think that it, it hurts the movie overall, but it was distracting for me that the pacing just didn't have a flow to it. Although, like I said, I think the end of the movie works pretty well. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because there was a similar criticism that was lobbed at the film uh, Terrified, which is another Shutter exclusive, another, I believe it's Argentinian, um, where it was sort of people were saying that um, the whole movie felt like these weird unconnected episodes of like spooky shit happening. And then it was like, they tie it together sort of at the end. Okay. But in this, I think the way it's tied together, it's definitely, as you said, you want to go back and watch it. You want to see how, how certain events and certain things are viewed through this lens. Now that you know what's actually going on. Um, well, I think the family ends up holding it together. Yeah, yeah. That it's about the family as a whole, you know? Yeah, I really appreciate it. Like, they did a really, really good job of um, establishing this central unit of the siblings with, like, the father as kind of, like, not like an outlier, but sort of it's like you have these four kids who are the, they're the crew. And then you got the dad who's, I don't know, like the race bandit of the group who's there to help them out. And then part of the horror comes from these kids being split up and separated and then ultimately revealed for what they really are, which again, I don't want to reveal. Um, I had said earlier that there weren't any like real, like iconic quote unquote scenes that are like, Ooh, that was, uh, I stand corrected. I do want to talk about the scene. Uh, the one, the youngest child in this movie, he is hearing impaired. So he's always being cute and doing his little sign language and everything like that. And there's a scene when he asks a character, like, I forget what he says, like, what do you want to, what do you want to do? Like, what are you doing? What are you thinking about? And the character without looking just signs over to him, like, killing you. And there's no, like, drastic emotion. I don't, I don't think the other character looks at him. He just signs, like, killing you. And it's really fucking creepy because it's the yeah. middle of the night. Yeah. Um, and then there was that scene at the end when it's actually on the poster that I'm looking at on IMDb, I realized when all those people show up with the umbrellas. 
yes. in the rain in the middle of the night, and then they just all at the same time hold their hands up and drop pomegranate seeds. I don't know why that I could feel like my body breaking up in goose flesh right well, cause now. Because we don't know who they are, we don't know why they're there. They're why they got dressed, pomegranate seeds? They're all dressed very weirdly. They're all out in these d- spooky woods. You yeah, know? they're not even dressed like. Like when we say weirdly, it's it's this like weird anachronistic. Is that the word? I don't know. I made it up. Anachronistic. Anachronistic clothing from like a different time. It's just strange. Yeah. Uh, But no, I think this movie, while it might not have been established an effective narrative, I think it established an effective atmosphere, which is all I could really ask for. Well, and I think the movie it does a pretty good job too. Of we've talked about this before. A supernatural film that has a religious perspective can sometimes read just like weird propaganda for that. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, and they've talked about this on other podcasts too, that sometimes like religious horror is just like, well, I guess we'll just wait till God steps in and saves everybody. Because, yeah. Uh, or doesn't because this person doesn't like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's always either, well, it doesn't matter because God's going to save anybody anyway. Or, no, God's not because God isn't real. God is not here today. Yeah. You know? What this movie does a really good job, I think, of doing is having this like strong Muslim sort of aspect to the movie. That's the context that the movie's in, but then focusing more on the family and the family's experience. Yes, you know, um, and not relying on some sort of like God, you know, a, a literal Deus Ex Machina. Well, what I really appreciate about this movie is, despite the fact it's called Satan Slaves, right, and despite the fact they're just like. Mm, this isn't a spoiler because they say like how like a certain character was a devil worshiper. I, I got the feeling more that it was just like like vague paganism, like it wasn't like a Judeo Christian Satan, like it wasn't Lucifer that they were worshiping. It was just some like. Well, in this context, uh, you know, because of the sort of colonial history of Indonesia or a lot of these sort of places, when they when movies like this have like a as established religion versus Satan, it is often, it's not like a literal Lucifer of Palestine. Yeah, what yeah, What they yeah. mean is the whatever local gods, because the, the whole sort of schematic is about crushing whatever belief system was there so that everyone just accepts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your whatever. Uh, what this movie really does is not feel the need to clarify that for you. So it's not quite, it's not quite Wicker Man, mm. <laughs> where you're kind of like, I don't know. I mean, sucks for that cop, but <laughs> Wicker Island seems pretty sick pretty to me. Pretty fucking groovy place. I'll go yeah, hang out there. Yeah, and we get to burn a cop every year. Like that sounds good. Um, no, but I think uh, I think it's not quite that, but it is. Uh, it is related to that anxiety that I think is probably common in uh, in these sorts of environments where it's just question of like is there something in our past which is of course the pre-colonial past yeah before our encounter with whiteness um is there something back there we should be afraid of and that fear can be because it's who we really are and we can't be trusted we can't trust ourselves Mm. or or it's something we turned our back on that now we have to pay the price for yes that we we had a we had something good actually and we we've strayed from the path of yeah, the, yeah. the true righteous path and now and what this movie does is while it's connected to that it actually does something else 
that I don't want to get into how it does it because I don't want to spoil anything. But suffice it to say, though they are in a scary position because they're in the woods and the woods are scary. Yes. The film is very clear that once they leave the woods, the danger is just as present in the city. Doesn't go away, yeah. No, and in fact, might even be sharper. That this, that, 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 uh, yeah. I don't even want to say what I'm thinking right now. They may have jumped out of the frying pan. And into the fire. Mm-hmm. And that might have been the plan from the beginning, basically, mm-hmm. is what I'm trying to say. Point, point is, point is, that I think it's playing with a lot of themes that can be... I don't really like this word because I don't think it's descriptive enough, but you could describe them as problematic or you could describe them as related to negative things that sometimes uh, these sorts of scary religious themes within a post-colonial context can be weird because they can be about your personal identity or whatever. Mm -hmm. This film touches on all those anxieties without ever confirming any of them. It's, It's not about making anyone feel bad about that. And in fact, really ties... I mean, maybe it is to the extent that like her... The the there's a character who is a singer and who maybe brought some negative forces into the house. Maybe. And that's maybe connected to her sort of bohemian lifestyle. So maybe there is a little bit of like skepticism around that. But even that one sort of moralistic point, they could hammer it a lot harder than they do. It's really just sort of a character detail, like a oh, and this happened. I really you know. the thing I like about it is like it's easy to forget, as I, as as weirdly enough, as a as, as a gentleman with a degree in religion, forgot. Sure. Indonesia is the large has the largest population of Muslims on the planet. Right. And while Islam plays a large role in this movie, it's just sort of, it's not like like I think the only times the only references they make to Islam is that there's the character of Usted. Yeah. And then there's the greetings of peace be peace be with you. Right. That's it. I mean, you can kind of tell at the funeral scene, and then there's a yeah, prayer yeah. scene with a bunch of dudes who are clearly. There's also the, know, the, the prayer scene with the one girl. She does the her nightly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's it, it's not it, it, they're not like shoving it down your throat. It's just enough there to provide the just like framework for everything else that's going on. Well, yeah. It. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's very much a movie that assumes sort of a general religiosity without necessarily having an agenda one way or the other, which is sort of, like I said, sort of the problem with other religious films is that they tend, I say religious, uh, religion-related horror films, yeah. that they tend to need to be either like almost like a propaganda thing, like don't worry, the church will win in the end. Or a superhero movie. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. So um, I really like that this movie, it has that as the context because that's the context that these characters are in. But it doesn't try to like rely too much on one thing or the other. It's not like we need this imam to like pray the special magic prayer. Or something. And ultimately, the hero is not the god above or any warrior of God. Sure, 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 sure. You know sure, what I mean? Like sure. it, it's I, I, I really like I, I. That could have very easily been come off as deeply saccharine and super corny, right? But when it was execu- when when they when they when they when they fucking let the dragon out of the cage, which is a terrible metaphor, but whatever. When that when that hit, when they dropped that, when that beat dropped, I was like, okay, I'm okay with this. This is now like I'm totally cool with this, and it makes sense to me. I will say this is also a movie that does not have a lot of gore and a lot of gory kills, but there is a particularly gross sequence that I thought was very well done. Uh, when a certain character winds up under a truck, 
Oh, wow. Yeah, that was rough. And it felt like a 70s movie. You know how like yes. uh, some of those like se- like someone does something magic and then something bad happens to you and then it's like super intense, you know? Maybe not quite like decapitation scene in Omen tense, but definitely something you were like kid getting run over in Toxic Avenger. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um there's a couple things like that, but I think the movie overall it's not a gore fest, it's more of a creep out. And I think it's pretty good at that. Again, I think for someone who's utterly allergic to modern horror, uh, who is very skeptical of Blumhouse style movies? Yes, but Liam, you're next to me, and my acceptance for my open heartness, my tolerance for all things. All I'm saying is that some people like that might not love this movie. However, I think if you're like, no, that stuff is fine, you should check this out. I I thought it was very well done. Uh, again, I I think um some of the some of the pacing affects the narrative a little bit, but um I found it. Still really satisfying. I thought the kids were a little too, s- really good. Yes. A little too much pissing on the floor for me. They piss on the floor at one scene. It's kind of weird. Apparently, this they just piss on the floor at this house, and I don't understand the floor pissing. I don't <laughs> get it. I mean, it's little kids. Maybe the adults know to use the bathroom or an outhouse or something. But it's still creepy, because the room they're doing it in has just a fucking well. Right. So uh, I, I, That's... It's good. I know I keep going back to that, but I, I, I cannot stress enough that the, this, this film really succeeds in setting up early on a very effective atmosphere, and it just it rides it out through the whole movie, and you're there. It's, it's, even if it doesn't, the pacing is a little off, the narrative is a little off, whatever. If you want to be creeped out the entire time, I think this movie is for you. Well, in discussing this movie as we were watching it, I was what was revealed to me is that Justin doesn't really know a lot about East Asian horror films. I don't. So now uh, hit us up on our various social medias so that we can harass Justin into doing a whole series of films. Come at me on my fucking personal Instagram. media. I don't give a shit. Repairman X Jacket at, at Instagram. Come at me. I'm ready. We should do A Tale of Two Sisters. We should do Juon. We should do Tetsu of the Iron Man. No, I love Tetsu of the Iron Man. Okay, you've seen that one. Yeah. What about, uh, what about uh, The Eye? With Jessica Alba? Stop. What about uh, the original The Ring? Ringu. With Naomi Watts? Well, I don't think the American remake's actually that bad. I I, I associated it with a time, so I sort of write it off. Mm. But the more I think about it, I'm like, it's not bad. I don't watch any movie with Naomi Watts where she's not getting on with another woman while a fucking terrifying trash monster lurks behind a dumpster. That's a Mulholland Ri- yep, Drive that's reference. That's your Mulholland Drive reference for the week. Yeah, that's not. He's not just having some sort of weird sex confession time right now. Yet. <laughs> I'm also not having a fucking stroke, so. Anyways, I think we could cover a lot of fun. There's a lot of fun things there. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that I'd like to find out, too. I, you know, I kept up with a lot of stuff probably through the mid aughts. But any sort of more recent sort of developments in horror in that area, not counting Dear Sister, the first Laotian horror movie, stuff like that, um, I haven't probably caught. So I'd love to have you, our audience, tell us what you think we should be watching when it comes to um, exposing Justin to some East Asian horror films. Or just exposing Justin, you know, either way. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, that's uh, Satan Slaves. So we are going to take a very quick break, and when we come back, we're going to dive into the neo-pastoral horror (laughs) of Don't Leave Home. 
which I have mixed feelings on, but I think they're good mixed feelings. We'll be right back. Is this Melanie Thomas? Yeah, this is she. Father Burke would like to fly you to Ireland to create an original sculpture while you're here. Think of this trip as both a holiday and a job. Here she is. Hi, Father Burke. Call me Alistair. The house has been here for nearly 300 years. You might hear some strange things. Don't pay any attention to it. About the commission, is there a particular piece I'm supposed to make? There is. We have a lovely grotto in the wood near the house. Father Burke thinks that that would make for a very successful sale. The other day when I first saw the grotto, I had this feeling I can't explain it. <laughs> you did obey Father Burke's request not to tell anyone about your visit. No one knows I'm here. Contrary to public opinion, Ireland is not overflowing with ghosts. I really think I need to go home. If you truly want to depart today, we are certainly not going to shackle you. You are here for a reason, my dear. And we are back to talk about 2018's Don't Leave Home. You guys missed some quality Game of Thrones talk. It's fine. An American artist's obsession with a disturbing urban legend leads her to an investigation of the story's origins at the crumbling estate of a reclusive painter in Liam's homeland, Old Log Sang, <laughs> Ireland. Is it Ireland or Ireland? Stop it. No, I want to know about your people. Stop it. This movie had one of my favorite themes in any horror movie in it, of, of recurring horror theme in it. What? Um, Europe, Northern Europe, yeah. Ireland, United Kingdom. Yeah. Is a thin veneer of civilization. Right, right. Over a writhing hellhole of unspeakable paganism. <laughs> I love that. I think that, um, I think there might also be something else going on here in that. Uh, I mean, we got to do some setup for you to get there. So basically, our our main person, she's American. She's she's, she's American. A, she's yeah. American. And she's going to do this diorama project. Yeah. Um, and she's doing it on this, I guess. So explain what happened with this priest. What happened with so the priest? So this priest was a painter, and he was painting this young girl, and he gave the painting to her parents, and then she disappeared not only in real life, but from the painting as well. Right. So it was this weird, spooky, like, sort of uh, Bloody Mary, like Neo-Bloody Mary style urban legend. And then this woman who's an American artist, her career, she's making these, like, dioramas about these these urban legends because it's, it's one of many urban legends right. from, that she's doing. And she gets this call that, like, oh, the guy, the painter wants to talk to you. And she's like, oh, shit, this isn't real. Yeah. So she goes over there and just goes down this fucking strange rabbit hole of, oh, my God, I don't need, like, there's a cult 
like this strange. So the idea is she's they they bring her there with all kinds of promises, money. Uh, promises is like we're going to auction off one of your pieces and we have to so they take her to i guess it's like a shrine a grotto shrine thing very weird and they want her to like do a piece on that and then they're going to bid on this thing um and then these benefactors come and so okay so it's important to say here she shows up she meets this priest this ex-priest who's very irish and then his woman who keeps him you know, his handler. Yeah, and then there's this house guy who's creepy as hell and doesn't talk. Very lurch-like. Yeah, and there's all this stuff going on where she can't go see him, and she keeps having dreams with weird, sort of uh, sacrilegious imagery and stuff. Yeah, and there's this whole like keeping her separated from him at certain times, but clearly he's like trying to reach out to her and connect to her to a certain extent. Um, and then there's this weird dinner party where she meets the benefactors. And what are the benefactors like? Well, they're all wearing powder wigs. Which is right. You could stop right there. And they're I'd be like, this is terrifying. Victorian outfits. They're all British. Ugh. But I think... So when you add in the, this theme of... Uh, basically, uh, she dis- she 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 also... She disappears. Yeah. You realize that there's been a series of disappearances that that each piece of art involves someone disappearing, mm-hmm. and then these weird British fucks bid on it and take by this piece of art. Yes, that's connected to the disappearance, and that this woman who's sort of running the household, she's keeping all this money. She's got a box full of money from these yeah. fuckers, and the fuckers are they're weird and creepy. And- it, it, pow- British pow- British dandies. I just but like they look like like sickly and odd. Like uh, maybe they're living off of but that's what I think is going on here is that it's a it, it you said folk horror. This is a fairy. This is basically a fairy tale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the metaphorical language going on here is something related to the disappearance and sacrifice of Ireland's young for the life of of Britain, Absolutely, I, 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 old rotting fucks in Britain. Basically. I was, I was actually going to say it's, it's, it's very. The fact that this is takes place in Ireland, and the fact that these sinister people are very clearly British, is not an accident. That it's a no. very deliberate choice in storytelling, and that it's about this structure of religion. There's like a religious aspect to it, and a folklore aspect to it. There's also this idea that they're just sacrificing these people, really. Yeah. Now, it's not bloody or anything, but they don't know where these people go. And they've just convinced themselves that wherever they're going is better. Why? To what end? And and where do they go? They go to a mysterious bog, basically. <laughs> it's just a big old mysterious bog. It's a shitty bog. bog. Um, it's like a Seamus Ohaney poem. I think there's a lot to say, even to how it ends, but... Uh, this is, so this is what happens when we have to cover, you know, we have to. When we choose to cover newer movies, we want to cover Shutter exclusives because yeah, we yeah. want you guys to go watch them and Shutter's cool. Uh, but we can't just, you know, if this was a 1974 Italian film, I'd just be like, fuck you, here's how it ends. Yeah, but you can't, this is thing. you can't spoil this. I don't want to spoil this. It's like, that's part of the fun of seeing how it ends. But it's hard to get us into it thematically because I think the ending... Kind of like you said, the last movie, the ending changes stuff. For this one, I think the ending tells the whole story. Yes. All I can say is that 
I was both not surprised and surprised by the end. Let's talk a second about um, this theme of these people who were, um, they're the ones who are bidding on the art and they're like, we don't know where they go, but it's probably a better place. Right. I think that's indicative of this sort of benevolent parental attitude that a lot of sure the colonizing you know they the, you know because because when people think of like colonialism they always think of like the conquering and like the 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 slave and all that um a lot of it and i think from a historical perspective the most insidious type was the this parental attitude that they had the the sure. white man's burden of like oh yeah have, have, have you read uh and this is for everyone listening. If you ever read a book called uh, "The Hills of Hebron," no, it's by Sylvia Winter, um, and it's about Jamaica, and it's about colonialism. And there aren't that many really mean racist characters in the movie, but the whole thing is in the movie in the book. But the whole thing is about colonialism, and there's a lot of uh, condescending religious types. A lot of people who like a, there's a pastor who's come to sort of love these people. He doesn't understand why his countrymen doesn't love these Jamaicans and he's going to reach out to them. And and really what ends up happening is he doesn't understand the hierarchy that his entire culture has put on these people. Yeah. So he doesn't understand why they don't want to be his friend. <laughs> he just can't figure it out. And it, And at first it's very quiet and it's very kind of sad you you might almost feel bad for him but it connects to such a deep well of dissatisfaction in him yeah and such a dissatisfaction in his shitty uh protestant marriage that's just based on convenience yeah that of course he's a rapist of course he is and he ends up just putting it out of his mind like it didn't even happen it was just this like thing that jamaica did to him you know what i mean or uh also in the book, there's a there's a uh, a psychiatrist, an Irish psychiatrist. Who One spends, of your people again. Yeah, who spends all his time complaining about the evils of England to uh, this character, this black character, and it's clear that on one hand he's relating to this black character because, uh, you know, we're both put down by the British, <laughs> but clearly he doesn't respect this person as a full adult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's teaching him about the world, man, and the idea that this person he's talking to, this black man who is older than him. Not as well educated, but is still pretty smart. The idea that that man would have any original thoughts for himself yeah. that he could then share with this drunk Irish psychiatrist, that's not even a possibility. That's not even a thing yeah. that could happen. Well, that, that's the thing is, is when, you, when, you, when you read a lot of these contemporary accounts of how uh, British colon, you know, the, the, these colonizers viewed the world, when they would go into a place to colonize it, they had this attitude. Sometimes it was like, uh, "Let's turn these people into slaves. Let's do this." But again, I I know I said this before. The the one that always struck me as the most insidious was these people should be grateful for what we're bringing to them. Sure, like they should be grateful for we're, we're bringing we're bringing our culture to them. Like that's that's what they really need. And I think there's a touch of that here where these characters, when these children disappear. Their mindset is well, we don't know where it goes, but like, why wouldn't it be good? Of course, it's 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 better than it's it's better than this. Of course, it's because we did it. It's 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 our gift to them. It's just we happen to benefit from it, and then it's it sucks because they're like you said, just in a bog somewhere. Well, and it's this this whole idea that um, whatever sort of like whatever sort of trappings of civilization they might 
feel like they're bringing. Yeah. They all belie this like horrible racist violence that is justified. It's like, well, you're not Christian and you don't have a flag. So therefore you're open season. You don't exist. You're not real. There's no guilt to be felt there because it's like, you're not even, I don't know. Not that we're bringing any sort of original insights to the nature of colonialism, but I think the film has this underlying question, as you pointed out of this like paternalistic thing. Yeah. That's all it is. Sort of attitude there. And the, the, the ways that we can even do it to ourselves, you know? Yeah. Um, her saying to the priest, the former priest, you're a good man, you're a good man, you know, that's fine. And his deep guilt and ambivalence about this thing and this feeling he has that he has to move forward with what's happening, but his deep regret about it, you know? Mm-hmm. It's really, I don't know. I just think that much of it was really interesting. It's definitely not a scary movie, but I found it in its sort of folktaleness very kind of haunting. You know? Again, yeah, the, the fear comes from, like all of these movies do, that what we view as civilized, what we, what we view as the familiar, what we view as comfortable and, uh, I guess, normal, is that just under that, just just out of, just out of just down the path there might be something there that completely destroys our uh, our perception of all that and because this is Ireland which in its proximity to England you know we've talked about it again there is something that is so um not scary but i guess like fearfully satisfying about this country and this culture that views itself as the pinnacle of like it is our divine duty to spread our culture to the uncultured and the pagans and the, all that. Right. And in reality, back at home, who the fuck knows what's going on? Right. You know, they got kids disappearing because who knows who knows like who knows what deity or what god is pulling the strings there? Probably an elk of some sort. I just I love that theme, and any movie that has that theme, I'm I'm on board for it. And this movie, it's not as heavy handed as say The Wicker Man or Blood on Satan's Claw. Um, but it's still there and it's still a theme that I really, really appreciate. I think it's worth naming that we're also not sort of Celtic um, experts. Well, you, so are. you are. Stop. So I think <laughs> there's probably a lot of like um, imagery sort of going on here. Like what is the shape that shows up on the diorama and in the painting? What is the statue that she sees? Uh, yeah, what is that statue about? Yeah. Um, that at a certain point, he opens his hand... Again, I can't describe these moments to you because I don't want to ruin the movie. But he opens his hand and there's kind of like a Trinity symbol in his hand. Yes. And then he sees it again in a Mary statue's hand. What is that about? You know what I mean? And when I say what is that about, I don't mean that any of these things need literal explanations. Like, tell me what this means exactly. But I think it's pointing towards certain cultural things that you would go, oh, like that they would have a resonance with you. It's like, you know, you see an American, well, American flag is such an empty, broken symbol, but you you would see it and it would have a meaning for you beyond just the fact that it's a flag. Yeah, yeah. That there are references here to maybe Irish cultural traditions or uh, superstitions or whatever that maybe I don't get. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. And then smack dab in in the middle of it, very prominently is the Virgin Mary. Like there's a lot of, there's right. a weird, 
Missing, I believe, her right hand. Right. Okay. So there's like Catholic themes. There's themes around like the fae and fairy stuff, which yes. is very much uh, a kind of like Celtic thing. And um, and then, like we said, I think I think we're right that there's this sort of relationship between Ireland and England, you know, colonial state absolutely sort of thing going on there as well. So uh, as well as just a you know. A general awkwardness around religion. You know, here's this former priest, and what is he even doing? And yeah. A lot of her nightmare imagery is related to religion, but it's not, our character isn't necessarily like a lapsed Catholic or, you no, know, the, she, I, she doesn't have some sort of guilt complex. No, I don't think that. I think, that, and I think that was a wise choice in the filmmaker to, to make because I think if they had made the main character any sort of lapsed religious, I think that would have been. A little too tropey for me. Yeah. And I think that, that that would have been a little too heavy handed. So I think that was a wise decision on their part to just make her an artist and not a not a, a believer or ex believer. Yeah, that she doesn't she's not bringing any of her own sort of baggage to this. She's really I, I don't I mean, okay, I'll be honest, uh, we haven't really said anything too critical. Uh I don't love her performance. No, I don't love her performance. I think that she's a little too wide-eyed and wafy for most of the movie everything is like a real big surprise to her yes. she doesn't seem to bring any sort of like presence and maybe that's just the way the character is written but it it just came across like a decision she she was making and i don't love that i also feel that the housekeeper not the not the weird butler but the actual housekeeper should have been cackling and twirling a mustache the whole time. Yeah. It was a li- like when you first see her, you're like, oh, okay, that's like an old lady. Like the old people are generally sort of, eh. And then like as time went on, I was like, I get it. She's fucking sinister. Jesus Christ. Yeah. It, they do sort of play that up a lot. I, I like it at first. There's like a general sort of uh, fish out of water grossness, you know, like Absolutely. when they bring her the weird... Uh, stew. Oh my god, that was so gross. I don't know what that was. But you know, uh, there's moments like that that I think are actually really effective. But yeah, by the end, it's just kind of like, well, and and because she's not, it's fine that she's an unsympathetic villain. This is a horror movie. Yeah, she doesn't yeah. need to be sympathetic. But she's so unsympathetic that after a while, you start to be like, what? why is she even like this? What yeah. is even happening? Why is she doing this? Uh, on the other hand, maybe that was effective. Maybe that's what they wanted you to feel was was some sort of uh, evil maternal. I mean, maybe she's Thatcher. I don't fucking know. <laughs> Point is, is that is that I you know I don't think it was just the script. I think it was also a bit of an atonal performance. There's that. It also took away from every time she was on screen. It was just like, how do we make a scene in this movie creepy? Just have old Margaret Thatcher wannabe walk in there. And then it was like, that's how it's going to be creepy. Mm. I, I just felt it was almost not quite lazy storytelling or lazy tone setting, but I guess it was kind of lazy tone setting. I Again, I don't know if it was a script or her, but she just wasn't... It started off strong, but she started to just get a it little got old. Tiresome. It got old yeah. fast, yeah. So I don't know if there's much else we could say about this. Um... I mean, I think it. I think it works overall. Again, if you go into it expecting something that's more atmospheric, it's a bit of like a fairy tale thing. There's a, a couple of very effective for me scary parts. Okay, but the film as a whole didn't give me anxiety. No. There's just she has a few nightmare sequences where I'm like, "What is fucking happening right now?" Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, and again, it's it, 
even just talking about the structure of the movie, I don't think it's a movie that's, it's a movie that's meant to be sort of engaging and, and a bit mysterious, but I don't think it's meant to give you a feeling of terror or anything like that. And, uh, no. but I thought it was, I thought it was overall effective. And I think, you know, you could judge it for having a, the loosest of plots, but I think it's meant to be a, an atmosphere piece more than it is like a, super compelling narrative yeah i mean similar to how satan slaves was but i think satan slaves was much more successful at creating and maintaining that atmosphere sure all right so that was satan slaves and don't leave home as we said before they are both shutter exclusives so you should go to shutter.com and check them out you can get their free what do they have a seven seven day free trial yep there you go all right if you guys want to know more if you want to read some reviews, you want to read some writing, some cool writing, reviews about movies, check out some of our other podcasts on our network, you can head to cinepunks.com. There's also information on how to donate to our Patreon. Uh, if you are listening to us on iTunes, do us a favor and rate, review, subscribe, and fucking download, download, download. I cannot drive that home hard enough. Just driving it just hard. Just get it in there. Just do it. Download, download, download. I'm giving the people what they want. Um... Yeah, other than that, I guess thanks for listening and I don't know, just whatever controversial horror opinion. Toby Hooper killed all the people in Cannibal Holocaust. I don't know. I got nothing. You can just stick with the classic fuck Victor Salva. Fuck Victor Salva. There we go. Yes. Right. But 